we all know, don't we, that we're not where we need to be. When we talk about our relationship with the Lord and where we are spiritually, I don't think there's any of us here this morning that would say there is no room for growth. I mean, it may shock you, but I'll do this publicly. Uh, Levi, do you think you still have room to grow in your faith and your relationship with the Lord? Yes, there we go. I didn't prompt him. Gary, do you have still room to go in your developing relationship with the Lord? Lots. Roger? Yeah. Drew? We could go around, but I don't think there is need to. We are all in the same boat. We all have room to grow. We all know when we really start thinking about our relationship with the Lord and our spiritual life, and as we read God's Word, that we realize we're constantly confronted with the reality that we're not where we need to be. One pastor says this, I love this quote, he says, it's okay to not be okay. It's okay to not be where we're supposed to be, you just can't stay there. That what he was marking is that our life as sons and daughters of God, as sons and daughters of the King, is marked by growth is marked by progress, it's marked by falling, it's marked by slipping. But we are called to get up and to move forward and to grow and to mature. And if you have been here with any regularity over the years, um, one of the sayings that permeates through the church is something that, that Gary has said often, and it's even in our material in our new members class, and it's that God has given us three ways in which He grows us primarily, and that's from God's Word being over us, the Holy Spirit being inside of us, and God's people around us. This morning we're going to talk about discipleship and how the God's people being around us helps us to grow, and my fear is that some of us want to live, we think it's easier to live our lives as word and spirit people only. Because living with one another can be messy. I want you to imagine the scene for a moment. A couple of weeks ago, we ended our study through the book of Mark, and we ended in the book of Mark with the man in white in the tomb saying, Go to Galilee. Tell the disciples to go to Galilee. If we were to go to the end of Matthew, Matthew tells us that Jesus is there, he's in Galilee, and he's on a mountain and he meets his disciples. Imagine this scene. They're seeing the risen Lord. They're seeing Jesus with whom they walked for three years. They're seeing this man that was crucified, buried. They had heard the rumors that he had risen from the grave. They are there with him. And Jesus is meeting with them face to face and he is getting ready to go back to the Father and Jesus utters the words that are so familiar to us if we have spent any time in church. Go, make disciples. And a lot of times when we look at these words at the end of Matthew, we emphasize these words, this go, make disciples. And one of the things that we do is that we emphasize 
the vital importance of evangelism. And this is who we are. We are to be an evangelizing people. We take from that that God that in the flesh, Jesus on that mountain told his disciples, go and make disciples and we need to follow that mission. And that's true and it's right. But so many times I think we miss the second part of what Jesus was saying. In verse 20, he says, teaching them some of what I have taught you. He says, teaching them all that I have taught you. What did Jesus teach them? I think about the parables. I think about the Sermon on the Mount. We just, in the Gospels, just get this little glimpse into the, 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 the canon, the, the work that Jesus taught. He was constantly teaching. He taught them how to pray. He modeled for them love as he interacted with people and as he took care of people. He brought up their shortcomings. He pointed out their sins. Think about being one of those men or women that were walking with Jesus where we have over and over in the New Testament. How unfair is it if you're trying to be someone who hides yourself and hides your true feelings and hides your sin from people? How unfair it was trying to hide it from Jesus. How many times in the New Testament, in the Gospels, did we have he knew what they were thinking and so he started to speak? Or he knew what was in their hearts. I wonder. I wonder. I don't wonder, I know. Have you ever thought about, at this moment on this mountain, that these 11 men, these disciples, were more like Jesus than they were three years earlier? Not perfect. A long way to go. But they were more like Christ than they had been three weeks earlier. And as Jesus is uttering this, what may be going on in your head, even right now, is you know where I'm going with saying that this is our task as well of teaching and equipping and building up the body and and, and helping to mature the saints, you may be saying, oh my goodness, I am not ready, I can't do this. And Jesus knew that, and this is why He gave you the Holy Spirit. In that text, Jesus says, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And we know that God, that Christ, what He did as He went is that God gave us the Holy Spirit and He gave us His Word so that we could continue this work, that we could continue this mission, this task. Years ago, uh, and I wonder how many of us were there, uh, at one of our men's retreats, uh, Tony Souter came and spoke to us. Uh, and, and one of the, what Tony spoke on that weekend was, does anybody else remember? Uh, we got one. He taught us this, this, this little saying that's so helpful. He taught us that as men, as people, in the body of Christ, as Christians, it is our task to see, savor, 
and share. That we are to see God and His majesty in the Word, primarily. That we primarily see God for who He is and His Son in this written Word. This is the only infallible source of that information. But we also see God in other things, in nature and in other people and things like that. But we were to see God. To savor and to share. And I think, I hope, that many of us do a pretty good job of Seeking and wanting to see God. By this I mean that I hope that you are spending time in God's Word. That you're seeking Him. That you're seeing Him. And that as you're going throughout your day that you are experiencing in God in profound and good and mysterious ways. And you're seeing Him. And I know that maybe even some of us are not only seeing, but we're savoring that. Meaning that we're spending time thinking about those things. We're spending time taking that in. Some of you even write these things down as you're savoring what God is doing. You think on them, you rejoice, you pray through them. But I think sadly, so many times it stops there. And that we're not sharing those things. And God is calling us, Christ in these final words, are calling us to be a people who share these things. You've probably heard me say this before, but we're not supposed to be dams. That God's word, God's promises, glimpses of who he is comes into us We were not created to just hold all that like a reservoir of water and hold it in. And I think many of us live our lives this way, where things come into us and we're blessed and we hear and we experience and we just hold it in. What God is calling us to be is a conduit through which what He is pouring in comes out to us to other people. And I hear it all the time. I hear it all the time. Weekly, as I sit down and meet with men, one of the things that I hear as we talk is just the desire, the need for men to have other men pouring into their life. It's what we were created to be. It's what we are created to do. When I was in seminary, discipleship was a, was a big deal, as it should be. <laughs> it was a big deal, and, and many of us would be jealous because, uh, um, can you imagine that even in seminary there's jealousy and there's rank order, and so we would see some of the, the big dogs on campus, you know, some of the, the, the professors who had written all the books, or, or Al Mohler himself, and he would come through the hallway and he would have a, um, a group of men behind him that were kind of his guys that he was investing in and discipling. And they all looked like him. They all had bow ties. And, and, and it, was, it was often that some of us would sit up and lament like, oh, I wish I could, you know, be in that group, you know, with those guys. And there wasn't any chance for us because, 
you know, we were lonely peons from smaller churches. But I thank God. I thank God. For people like Eric Johnson. Who took the time. uh, Every week. and Sometimes several times a week to to sit with me and to answer all of my crazy questions. Who took the time to, to talk through the scripture with me. Who took the time to talk through life with me. One of the most profound times with him was something that I resented him for for such a long time. And that's when he had the audacity to point out some sin in my life. Thank God for that man. I was more like Jesus at the end of that three and a half years in seminary because of Eric Johnson. Because of what he did and how he poured in my life. And I think back and it's interesting, there was another man that was around and I'm going to call him Bob. That's not his name. But Bob was a was um, was around. He was discipling a lot of my friends. Bob was a seminary student. Bob had been a medical doctor and he had surrendered his life to the ministry and was coming through seminary. And so this was a profound thing. I mean, he had given up this career, was taking his medical debt with him to seminary. And uh, and so one of the things that he did as he was there, he was married, had kids. He was probably 10 years or a little bit more older than us. And so he would just pour into the guys at seminary. And so I, I hung around that group for a while. I got to go to some of their meetings and some of their Bible studies. And, and it just unnerved me a little bit. As I would go, um, he was very concerned about having you come over and to do things uh, for him and with him like wash his car and watch his kids. Now, now part of that, you could fit into a discipleship model of us young guys needed to learn how to you know, be a good father. Uh, we needed to learn if we didn't know how to wash a car, but hmm, that one was stretching it. What was really interesting is all the guys dressed like him. And I'll never forget the night that uh, one of my really good friends was, he, I had been praying for him, I was in checking up on him, he had gotten the opportunity to preach at a church, which was a big deal for us. And I was in, and I was, I was just encouraging him, and I was saying, hey, how's it going? And he was just furious. And I said, what's wrong? And he said, I just got off the phone with Bob. And I was like, okay. Bob was angry at him because it was Saturday night. He was preaching on Sunday morning. My friend was preaching on Sunday morning. And Bob was saying, hey, there's a guy that uh, we need to go help move, and you should have gotten this done earlier and just read him the riot and what I realized is that this relationship, and it unfolded over time, was that Bob was more concerned with these guys looking more like Bob than he was with them looking like Christ and pouring into them. And I'm not saying this is a correlation, but Bob failed later in the ministry. And I wonder, I wonder, those men that were around him, If Bob was the goal, what happened with them? Ephesians 4. 
Ephesians 4. Let's look at this briefly. Notice in verse 11, it's spate read. It says, He gave some as apostles, some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors, and some as teachers. Now, what you have to ask yourself, this is God was giving these folks, and to whom was He giving them? He was giving them to the church. He was giving them to the body. And I think in this context, what we see is that he was giving these people to the local church. And so what I want you, how I want you to hear this this morning is that God is giving these type of people to the church. And notice what they are for. For the equipping of the saints. If you are a believer in Christ Jesus, you are a saint. And so notice what's happening. They are equipping the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body. So some of you this morning, when you hear this, you're like, yep, all right, Lewis, there you go. Discipleship, that's your job and it's the elder's job. And I'm going to say not so fast. Read this carefully. When we look at this word carefully, what we see is that, yes, he is giving these specific roles to the church for the building up of the body. But notice in verse 15, but speaking of the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects of to him who is the head, even the Christ. From whom the whole body, you are being fitted and held together By what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part. And so what this text is telling us is that God, God has given us one another for the building up of the body. Some of you may look around and say, "Uh uh-oh, teasing. Take this seriously. Notice, notice, go back up to 13. For the building up of the body until we all attain the unity of the faith. Would anybody raise their hand and say, I have attained the unity of the faith. And of the knowledge of the Son of God. Would anybody raise their hand and declare, I am full of the knowledge of the Son of God. I've got it down. I'm the expert. Just in case you might start checking these off. To a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. And so what you see from this text, what Paul is laying out in this text is that we are given to one another to build one another up until we reach the goal, which is to be like Christ. And so, when I asked the question as we began, the reason we know that we still have work to do is that none of you have reached the stature of maturity that's in Christ. And so while you are on this earth, You have to know that you have been given. The other people in this body. 
to help you to grow into this stature. The saints are responsible for the discipleship and the growth and the maturing in Christ. And what happens if you don't? Verse 14. The reason in which he is saying to do this is to be mature. As a result, we're no longer to be children. So a way you could read this is that if the body does not do this, you will be like a child tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men and by the craftiness and deceitful scheming. That's what happens when we don't. But if we do. 15, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, that if we are doing what we're supposed to be doing. That we can say by spending time and being with one another, with the word of God above us, with the spirit of God in us and the people of God around us, that we can say that we have become more like Christ because of our relationships with one another. And brothers and sisters, if we renege on this responsibility, culture will step in. The culture around us is happy to disciple us and is looking to disciple us at all times. Kids, youth, who or what Do you want to pattern your life after? Who are the major influences in your life? I mean, you know, we even have these things called, and this isn't just for kids, social media influencers. Adults. We have two primary news sources whose job it is, is to influence you in a direction, and they're paid Millions and millions and millions of dollars to do it. It's interesting. You know me, I'm a social person. and If I've asked you and you've said this, then just take it to heart. Oftentimes I'll ask young people who are getting near to the end of their high school or college career, hey, what do you want to do when you get older? And you know what the main thing that I was thinking about this as I was preparing this sermon, what the thing that I hear more often up here on the mountain. I don't know, I want to make a lot of money. Let's turn it around. Where do they get that? They're being discipled by something. And oftentimes, if I ask parents, hey, what's your what are your goals for for Jimmy? I want him to be successful and to be happy. I think as adults, the primary need and desire that we want, and none of these are bad things in and of themselves, but we want nice families, successful kids, good careers. And a lot of times we will spend hours and hours reading books and listening to podcasts. And on social media to try to figure out how to get it. And and listen, listen, here's my point. What if? What if? 
the goal? What if the goal was to become more like Christ? What if the goal for got a junior and a senior here on the front row. What if the goal at the end of your high school career was whatever you did, you wanted to be more like Christ? What if the goal for some of you young families that have young kids that are just starting off? What if the goal was that your family, your home, everyone there to look more like Christ? We need each other. We need each other to be influencing, to be discipling one another. And I hope I don't embarrass and I'm not putting them up on a pedestal. But, you know, uh, several years ago, as we were interviewing candidates for our uh, at that time, what we were just looking at as a youth pastor. One of the. uh, I don't believe in coincidences, but I'll use that in air quotes. One of the coincidences that kept happening was it was really interesting that uh, I would run into people uh, who had been at Cedar Springs Church. Just randomly. And one of the things I heard, I would ask, because I'm going to take the opportunity, because we had a couple that, that we looked good, that you always want to know, and I would hear of the impact. And then one of the privileges that I got to have on Thursday at Granny's funeral was to sit in here, and the first couple that comes in were from Dallas. Oh, how do you know Damon and Leah? And I just heard of their Damon and Leah's ministry in their life. And then I think the next group, large group that came in, was there was a large group from the Korean church. Over and over over what you saw was a people who had been influenced not to be like Damon and Leah but that were influenced in discipleship towards Christ this is who we are supposed to be I saw the impact of Spending life with each other and sharing and investing and pouring in. And the question that is on our mind, because you know where I'm going, that this is your job as well. Is that you're saying, well, how do I do that? Again, back when I was in seminary, one of the things is that they came up with this program about discipleship. And so they would link a older student up with a younger student. And we were to meet together and uh, uh, to disciple, uh, disciple one another. And uh, the older student was supposed to disciple the younger student. And I think for many people this probably worked well. But I was the absolute worst. Ashamedly. I remember this time. I even still have the book. Nothing written on any page. Some of you, it probably drives you crazy to write on pages. I'm a person who writes in dog ears pages. I, I, I couldn't even tell you what the book was about. And I met with this guy and don't know what we talked about. I can't even remember his name. 
I was a failure. As I was thinking about this sermon, there's this old cliche that you may know. The old cliche is that everybody should have a Paul and a Timothy in their life. Have you heard this? What is meant by this is that, you know, when we look at the relationship of Paul and Timothy in the New Testament, it's just this remarkable thing of Paul pouring into young Timothy's life. And all over the New Testament, you see Paul with Timothy on missionary journeys. In fact, we were reading from the book of Ephesians and Timothy was the was the pastor, the lead elder of the church at Ephesus. And what it means by having a Paul and Timothy in your life is that all Christians at all times should have an older person, a more mature person who is pouring into them, and then a younger or a less mature person that they are pouring into. That's the goal of the Christian life. That's how we are supposed to do it. And so as I was thinking about this sermon, one of the things I did is I went back and read First and Second Timothy. And I was struck by a couple of things. So I'm going to spend just a little bit of time in these two books And I just want you to see a couple of things, and there's so much more that can be mined from this. But the first thing that I want you to see, and this is in both 1 and 2 Timothy, in in chapter 1, verse 2, Paul writes to Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. And in 2 Timothy, chapter 1, verse 2, to Timothy, my beloved son, Grace and peace from God the Father and Jesus Christ our Lord. And what you see from the very beginning, and when you read these two epistles, what you see is that Paul and Timothy's relationship was unique, but it shouldn't be a unique relationship. It should be the norm. That as a a fellow believer in Christ, it changes everything so that Paul says, my true son in the faith. It was not his biological child, but he loved and cared for him in that way. And the thing that united them was not that they thought of each other as neat people, but the thing that united them was the Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord. I I was also struck by just the encouragement that took place over and over in in the first chapter in verse 18. This I command, I entrust to you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you fight the good fight. That he's urging this young man, and I'm assuming women have the same struggle, But men, we need encouragement, don't we? One of the secrets of manhood that isn't talked about very much is that we all feel a sense of guilt that we're not doing enough. We all feel a sense of inadequacy. And so I was just moved as I was reading and just heard Paul pour into young Timothy, my son, fight the good fight. You can do it. You've been called for this. Verse 19, keeping faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected and suffered the shipwreck in regard to their faith. Paul knows that Timothy is going to face struggles and he's going to face doubt. 
And he doesn't gloss over it or pretend it's not there or pretend that there's that that can't happen to Timothy or pretend that that can't happen to himself. And so as he's encouraging Timothy, he says, fight the good fight. Hold the faith. And I just think, what if on the regular that we were interacting with one another in such a way to where we were encouraging one another like this? Another thing, like I said, there were many things, to, way too many to mention, but another thing that really stuck out to me in 2 Timothy, and we all know, if you've been in church a long time, you know this passage. But just hear it. In 2 Timothy verse 1, verses 5-8, For I'm reminded of the sincere faith within which you first dwelt, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, And I am sure that it's in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God hasn't given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and of love and of discipline. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God. And here's what I want to point out. It's thought that Timothy had a problem with timidity. And if this is true, so there's a little bit of an assumption here, and that Paul knew this, notice Paul wasn't just flopping his gums or just riding carelessly. He knew the struggles of Timothy and he was leaning into those struggles and he was saying, Timothy, I know that you have this this issue and that you're timid, but I want you to remember that you were called and set apart for this. I want you to remember the power in which you're operating. It's the power that is given to you by God. Go and fight and to keep moving on. A true relationship of discipleship is one in where we really get to know each other. It doesn't happen in the hallways over coffee. It means investing. It means getting to know one another. It means doing life together. It means modeling. I want you to notice the next verses. Notice... Notice, notice the words, how, how Paul changes the words here. He says, speaking of Jesus, who has saved us, you and I, Timothy, he has saved us. He has called us, you and I, Timothy, with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which he has granted to us, you and I, Timothy, in Christ Jesus from all eternity. But now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior. You're my Savior, Timothy, Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And then notice the switch here. For which I, Paul, was appointed preacher. For which I, Paul, and an apostle. Which for which I, Paul, and a teacher. For this reason, I also, I, Paul, also suffer these things. But I'm not ashamed. For I know know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard which I have entrusted until that day. That Paul is saying, Timothy, remember my life. Know who I am. And who I am is all because of him. 
retain the standard of sound words which you have heard from me in the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. And I love this. Guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure which has been entrusted to you. Don't you yearn for this type of relationship? Don't you yearn for this type of picture? Don't you yearn for this type of thing going on in the church? Chapter 2, you therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these things to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. There it is again. The Great Commission, Ephesians 4, it's all throughout the Bible. This reduplicating process. This process that we are to all be in relationship to one another. And I have this vision for Signal Mountain Bible Church. And for some of you, this isn't new. You've heard me say things like this in, in meetings and in things. You know, I, I love and long for the day when our fifth graders, our fifth graders are pouring into some of the younger kids' lives in the children's program. I long for the day where our middle schoolers are pouring into life of fifth graders. I long for the day where our High school kids are mentoring and discipling middle schoolers. I long for the day which we are a church where this is just naturally a part of who we are. And it happens and it happens over and over and over again. There's a I'm not checking the time. There's a book. Many of you have heard of the singer Michael Card. Well, you may not know, he was discipled by a theologian uh, by the name of William Lane. Uh, he met him in college, when Michael Card was in college. He was, uh, William Lane was a professor at Western Kentucky University. And I want you to hear how long this mentoring discipleship uh, took place. He, he wrote a book uh, called The Walk, Michael Card did. And here's two excerpts from that. So at this point, uh, William Lane had been told that he was dying, uh, and so he was going to move. And so Michael Card recalls, During the conversation, conversation, Bill told me why he wanted to spend his last days here in Franklin, Tennessee. He didn't feel like Seattle was home, even after eight years there. Neither did he want to go back to Bowling Green, even though his years there had been some of the happiest of his life. He said, I want to come to Franklin, he said. I want to show you how a Christian man dies. Bill said, I want to show you how a Christian man dies. I've only recently realized that this lesson began the first moment we met. It continued for 20 years or more because each time I was within Bill's reach, I was being powerfully taught or even more powerfully shown the life of faith and spirit. And it is that life that best prepares us for the slumber that Jesus spoke about. I want us to be a people. We are called to be a people that are preparing one another for that great rest. That job well done. And I've seen it. I've seen it here. I've experienced it. You can't run with Tracy Gartman and not be influenced. In that moment, you talk about a sharer 
Tracy Gartman is someone who does this well. He sees, he savors, and he shares. He pours in. I've seen it at coffee shops. I've seen it at Pruitt's. And I want to see it more. I want to see it more. And there are some obstacles, right? The biggest obstacle that some of you are thinking of is I'm not ready. You'll never be. Whether you feel like what God is pouring into you is a trickle or a fire hose, you're still supposed to be a conduit of that going through you. It's not about you anyway. (laughs) It's about God and His Word and His beauty and His Son going through you to other people. Don't be content sitting out and letting the world influence yourself and those around you. The other big thing that I, obstacle that I'm anticipating that you're thinking of is, man, I don't have the time. I've got to work. I pray that we become a place where our brothers and sisters becoming more like Christ, where you and me becoming more like Christ is more important than what we do from nine to five. The one that I will give a little more credence to. I've got a family. Did you hear earlier when talking about Timothy? How the faith came to Timothy through his mother and his grandmother. And you are exactly right. You have a family and the primary discipleship. If you are a mom or dad is within your home to your kids. And I'm going to tell you this as you are doing this, you're going to need help. Because you're going to feel ill equipped. You're going to feel like you're not doing it well. And you're going to need the body of Christ around you to help you do that. You can't farm that responsibility off to Damon and Leah. That's your job. They can help. They can give wise counsel to you. They can come around you. But it's your responsibility. Brothers and sisters. Let's be this place. Now, you may say how. We're starting this new program. Just kidding. It's already in place. And growth group leaders next week are going to hear a little bit more about this, but it's already in place. If you go on our website and you read what growth groups are about, growth groups are the primary place that we see for God's people gathering together with intentionality, praying reading scripture, talking about scripture, sharing about what God has done, praying with one another, lifting one another up, practicing what Gary over the years has called those one another's. It's the primary way that we do that. But here's what I want to say. It's got to go a step further. It can't stop there. You can't have just a nice Sunday evening or Wednesday evening gathering. The intention of these small groups is for you to go deeper with one another. And so the goal of these groups is for you to begin pairing off with one another. And so if you are not in a growth group, you're going to have that opportunity. If you're a visitor and you want to just come to one of the growth groups, fantastic. Let us know. You are going to be getting an email from BJ that talks about, hey, growth group signups are coming back. Get involved in the growth group. Get involved with one another. 
Discipleship doesn't happen again. I want you to hear this. It doesn't happen in the hallways. It happens in homes. It happens in coffee shops. It happens in sharing. And it happens when you take a risk, as imperfect as you are, in getting together with another person who is imperfect for the purpose, for the purpose of loving one another well. Will you take that risk? It's essential. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I pray that we are a place where we take discipleship seriously. We're going to fail. We're going to mess up. We're not going to do it perfectly. But God, it's essential. Help us to be that kind of church, that kind of gathering. You have given us to one another. All of us. So that we can build one another up. Help us to be there. In your name we pray. Amen. This morning we're going to Take communion. So if the guys can come forward. We're going to do this maybe a, a, a tad bit differently uh, than we've done in the past. Yeah, if y'all want to come forward and stay standing, guys, for right now. I, I first want to just take a second to, to just tell you kind of how we do uh, communion at Single Mountain Bible Church. We believe that communion is for... Uh, as for the church, when we say that, in this context, we don't mean just people who belong to Signal Mountain Bible Church. What we mean by that is people who belong to the universal church. That is, is that if you have put your hope and your trust and faith in Jesus Christ, we welcome you to partake of the elements. If you haven't, we just ask that you just let the elements pass on by. There's nothing magical in the bread and the grape juice, uh, but this is a symbol of, of us as a church together. So guys, if y'all can go ahead and start passing out the elements. I know this is weird. Yeah, go ahead. This is weird. It's all right. As they're doing this, awkwardly, as you're taking the, the elements out of the trays, I want you to be thinking. Over and over again this morning, as scriptures were read, as we looked in the book of Matthew, as we looked in the book of Ephesians, as we looked some in First and Second Timothy, one of the things that you heard was that we are brought together by one thing. The death of Christ, the burial of Christ, the resurrection of Christ. This is what binds us together. Nothing else binds us together but the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So as you hold these elements in your hands, one of the things that you're holding in your hand is the representation of what it is that brings us here together. And so one of the things that I want you to think through this morning as you get your elements, and we're just going to spend some time in silence as the guys finish up and then bring the stuff back. I want you to spend time thinking about what does it mean to be a part of this church? What does it mean that God has set you apart and called you and saved you? What is the goal of your life? 
you want to be more like him. Let's just take some time and ponder these things. And in a moment, I'll guide us through the partaking of the elements. What binds us together is what keeps us together. Jesus, as he was looking at his disciples on the night that he was to be betrayed, took the bread and broke it. He said, this is my body. It's broken for you. Take and eat. And later... He took the cup. He said, this is my blood. Shed for the remission of your sins. Take and drink. Heavenly Father, may we be reminded of who you are, what you've done, who we are, and who we are to become. God, help us to take seriously the task that is before us. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.